0: This is Beyond the Pass, conversations with people from all walks of hospitality life. Centering mental health, Beyond the Pass is a conversation about life, hospitality, and what makes us get out of bed each day. Beyond the Pass is brought to you by Kelly's Cause, and the conversational digressions are brought to you by me, your host, Rachel Corlapsley. If you can take a minute to like, rate, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, that would be very much appreciated. Without listeners like yourselves, we couldn't keep having these brilliant conversations. Enjoy the episode and keep taking care of each other. Welcome back to Beyond the Pass. We are so excited to be kicking off season three with Raj Markandu. Raj is the operations manager at Bubbola and a mentor with Be Inclusive Hospitality. They are an advocate extraordinaire, focusing on having open and honest conversations about mental health and the lived experience of being QPOC in hospitality. We are so excited to have them on the pod. Hello, Raj.
1: Hey, Rachel, how are you doing?
0: Yeah, I'm good. We're in the moon cycle or whatever, so. We are
1: in the moon cycle, we are.
0: It's up and down, but we're managing. Um, It's also nice to be back and nice to be back in conversation with people. I'm really excited.
1: Yeah, no, I'm uh, thrilled to be here.
0: Um, I just want to get started by asking your origin story question. How did you get started in hospitality? Were you like a teenage pot wash? How did you get into this mess?
1: Similar, similar actually. So um, my uh, story began in Cumbria I didn't grow up in Cumbria, I actually grew up in Brighton, um, but my family moved to Cumbria when I was around 15 um, to uh, take over a hotel, um, Never worked there. neither of them had ever worked in hospitality and they decided, yeah, let's buy an 85-bedroom hotel, yeah, it was, it was a full service, you know, there's a pub, bar, um, uh, breakfast, lunch, dinner, all, all, all of it happening. So I naturally, you know, we moved up there. I was going to school and I quickly found myself, you know, finding myself, I want to be a part of this. I want to work in in the hotel. Um, so I started actually by being a bingo caller, because um, we used to have a, a lot of like coach tours. So a lot of um, retired folk um, coming through um, this small little village called St. Bees, and uh, they love their bingo and i remember when i first went to the hotel and i just saw i think the person who was called something like i don't know like johnny dreams like the entertainer or i can't remember his name but it's definitely something like that and uh i just see him like calling these bingo numbers and i was like i want to be that guy i want to be that guy and um and one day i got my chance and uh i got booed off because i wasn't uh shouting the numbers loud enough which was a real shame um uh, but I kept at it and I ended up doing it every week. But then during that time as well, I really wanted to do more other than calling bingo numbers. Um, So I actually started as a waiter. Um, So I was doing the evenings after I'd finished school, I would go wait tables um, for these coach tour holiday folk, um, and then I would call the bingo. Then that suddenly evolved into me being like the breakfast chef um, so I used to wake up in the morning, like 6am, cook like 200 eggs, um, serve it on like a, you know, like you go to like a Toby Carvery and they've got it all there and you've got all the chefs like serving all the different items. Well, that was me. And I was there with the ham and the eggs. <laughs> um, and, then I would get up, and then I would finish up, go to school, do my day of school, come back, wait the tables, call the bingo numbers. And I think I was getting paid, to be honest. I mean, this was, to be. I, I've been doing, I'm 34 now, so was, uh, 19 years ago. And I was getting paid like maybe two pounds an hour, I think. And sometimes, sometimes I wouldn't even get, be getting paid. Like my dad would do a very classic thing of, oh, no, 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 no. This is all our money. I, uh, yeah, there was a lot of uh, free labor happening.
0: Well, that's probably good. It prepared you for a lifetime in this industry.
1: <laughs> yeah, sure. I mean, yeah, I mean, even now to this day, you know, like I, I think there's like such a shift in kind of like culture around working hours. And mm-hmm. I think there is a positive shift yeah, for sure. definitely. So people are like, no, if I'm working those hours, I want to be paid for those hours, which is the right thing. But I'm still very much in the mindset of like, no, no, no. I'll wake up at six, do an hour before I go to work finish my day at work, go home and do another couple of hours, you know, like, I
0: mean, we're very close in age. So I am cut from that same cloth. And when I hear younger people with in businesses that we work with doing that kind of advocacy for themselves, I'm like, that was, that's possible. Like, it, it's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. I'm like, I
1: wish I had that confidence,
0: me too, <laughs> like... me too. But it was not to be.
1: No, um, Yeah, so I guess, uh, so that's how I kind of got started. I ended up going to Catering College.
0: Um, I think I was
1: kind of like, yeah, this is what I'm going to do. And then, yeah, my career kind of like took me down to Brighton, back down to Brighton when I was 18, being, you know, like a personal colour, a queer personal colour in this tiny little village in Gumbria. The closest town was called Whitehaven. Oh, stop. (laughs) So that in itself, I was like, hang on a second. I don't think this is for me. I got to get on the bus.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. So I went back uh, to Brighton and started working in bars and clubs and then got into restaurants. And then, yeah, so I guess that's how I kind of got started.
0: When you were sort of like going to the bright lights of Brighton and like having this expectation about career and you obviously had a lot of experience even just moving into like adult space or like, I suppose, actually being an employee as opposed to somebody's kid but I wonder about how your expectations met reality and what that experience was like and if it was sort of what you expected it to be. And I'm also like sort of with like within that question, I'm interested as like coming from such a white environment and I imagine very heterosexual, when you do go to Brighton, which is like more diverse, but like still England, did it, like, was it the utopia that you'd hope to find? So I guess both personally and professionally, what was that period of time like for you?
1: Yeah, so I think professionally, I think what is quite difficult is when you are the employee of an owner and you're in the work environment at such a young age, you don't actually have a full scope of what that really means. To be honest, I was a real brat um, and I was spoiled at that. Um, and then when I moved to Brighton, I was the first one in my, in my family to move, um, out of the family home. Um, and for me, it was, um, it was a real wake up call around independence. Maybe for the kind of like first six months, it was a sense of, um, oh no, I can still rely on my parents if I need help with this or that, but that didn't last very long um and there was a real wake-up call of like oh shit if i run out of money i I can't eat like you know um but there was also such a a real sense of entitlement and i think from that there was um part of it is in the situational parents being boss in this restaurant you know you do really get away with murder um and then when you're in an environment where you kind of don't have that safeguard, but you still kind of act like you have that safeguard. But I also think part of that is also with age as well. Um, you know, like I think, you know, that kind of like confidence that exudes, like I know better than everyone else kind of thing. And at this point I'm 18 and I'm like, I know exactly how to run a business. Like, you know, little did I know like how wrong I was. Um, And I think, you know, that really kind of like, you know, took time, Um, I think on a personal basis, moving back to Brighton, because I grew up in Brighton, so, um, and that in itself, I think it actually took me quite a while to realise this, but when I grew up in Brighton, I was very much a part of the, yeah, this is a really hedonistic city to be in, Um, there's so many cool people and different people of like different cultures, and there's a melting pot. And then I moved to... When I moved to Cumbria, I was like, oh my God, Brighton was so much different. However, it was when I moved back to Brighton and someone actually said to me, like, Brighton's pretty white, isn't it? And I was like, do you know what? You're right, actually. Like, Growing up at school, don't get me wrong, there was a lot of other ethnicities. Um, But I think the thing, and I think about this a lot now, actually, is what I always found quite different is, Being from mixed race households, a lot of the other ethnicities in Brighton, you know, there was a lot of Indians, a lot of uh, Bangladeshi,s um, and uh, those communities were like very big, very open. However, if you weren't, say, fully Indian, you were almost looked at as differently. Um, and, of course, on the, on the out-facing, I'm, I'm not white, like, you know, so I really struggled to understand, like, where my place was, um, and, you know, I think from a young age, I, I figured out, you know, I, I was queer, um, and I think there was maybe, to be honest, one evening when I was like, why am I queer, you know, mm-hmm. in my head, yeah. <laughs> and then it, it kind of came about, like, oh, you know, that is just very much kind of who I am. But I think the lived experience of being mixed races it's a very unique one because I think you go on this you go on this strange journey of trying to assimil well, in my case there was a, there was parts of trying to assimilate and just be a part of society and kind of running away from, you know, my brownness and my gold job. And you know, for twelve years I went by um, my my middle name, my Christian name, which is James. Um, because when I moved to Cumbria, my dad said, you'll fit in better. And that stuck with me for so long. Um, and it was only until I was about, yeah, 26, 27. And I was like, who is this James person? Like that is not me at all. And, you know, I'm going to really grow to love, you know, my culture and my heritage and be proud of who I am. But I think I really needed to kind of like go on that journey of discovery of you know leaving the family home finding you know my roots in brighton yes there was a lot of like partying and drugs and sex and alcohol and a lot of really really bad life decisions however i grew from those decisions you know um and i I am a, a true believer in kind of everything happens for a reason and even if at the time it feels really 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 shit actually there's a lot of strength out of that um, so yeah i think that maybe answers the question but i've yeah. maybe gone under a tangent no sure? <laughs> it
0: absolutely does i also am a big believer of like i think the path through something is always going to be hard if there's going to be hardship it's like let there also be like drugs and sex and like a good patio and like yeah. you know i don't let there be life also i guess yeah
1: I'm appreciative of all of those, you know, all all of those things um, because there's so many great life experiences that come out of it and it isn't just about, you know, kind of a tangible, oh, well, this happens, so this is how I feel. It it, it all kind of just, you know, it grows and builds and I think it's a really beautiful thing. It's a difficult thing. Um, Life, that's what it is. It is difficult and it still is difficult. It doesn't, it isn't like you wake up one day and you're like all my problems have gone like you just face new problems but you're maybe better equipped to handle them
0: how do you think being in hospitality and maybe it didn't but how do you think being in hospitality impacted those sort of years of coming to a peaceful place with yourself or a more peaceful place with yourself
1: i think the problem is like there is a you know the issue with hospitality is it really enables a lot of bad choices. Um, And it is a proponent of like, you know, creating a culture that revolves around drugs and alcohol and late nights and wearing, you know, things as a badge of honor Um, and so, yeah, it did just kind of um, add fuel to the fire um and kind of like a lot of like self-discovery around that um it's only you know nowadays you know i now look back and go jesus (laughs) the things i was doing like it's crazy like because at the time you think it's a very like solitary thing like oh if i'm on a calm down or if i'm feeling like this it's only going to affect me actually the the wider net it casts and actually the people it affects is is on a far greater level at at a far greater area at much different levels um yeah
0: yeah i feel like that's something i'm only have only really been able to start reconciling like in the past few years probably
1: you know for me i you know now my kind of like relationship with like drugs and alcohol and things, I don't drink at the moment. Yeah, me neither. I, yeah, I've I've previously gone like, you know, two years, um, totally sober. Um, I was in a program and, you know, that really helped me through a really difficult part in my life. Um, And I was able to come out of that program and, and kind of live life with alcohol. And, you know, it's only recently over the, you know, the last kind of four months, well, four months ago, uh at the end of this week um i decided actually do you know what i know what it's like when i am sober and when i don't have anything in my body and how i've got a clear head and how that makes me feel about the decisions i make opposed to waking up with you know a hangover or you know a few days have passed of like a wild night partying and how much that affects you um so for me I'm, I'm i'm around alcohol all the time being in this industry you know a big part of my role is being involved in wine and cocktail development and tasting and meeting people and i'm i've got a relationship where i can taste something and i'm like oh, that's enough you know we celebrated our four years of bubble of deals yesterday
0: um, thank you
1: thank you and uh, you know i had like a couple of sips of sparkling as a uh, celebration and that was fine i don't come away from it like gagging to suddenly crack open <laughs> a bottle of wine yeah. yeah and then yeah. like suddenly made some really really bad choices yeah
0: it's interesting like i think you bring up something that i've thought about a lot is that one when we think about like addiction and sobriety i think that it's so binary in a sense yeah. that like you can either be 1000 percent sober you can work a program you can be doing inventory all the time or you can be somebody who misuses and there's no in-between and i think for a lot of people if they're like perhaps not like full-blown addicts but definitely have like a misuse tendency with whatever there's very little sort of infrastructure to support that and particularly in hospitality so to your point you're doing cocktail development you're trying wines you're like how do you sort of maintain a career that's competitive and going places and makes you an asset but if you're in like recovery culture and they're telling you that that's putting your literal life on the line, yeah. that's a really hard balance. And I've seen people have to leave the industry. So I'm always really interested in people that have a semblance of peace around substance use. And like for me, I drink when I'm on holiday and then the rest of the time I'm sober. So that's how I have figured it out for myself. But I'm also not working in a hospitality business anymore, I'm not on the floor, I'm not working behind bars, so I have the latitude to do that, like I work for a mental health charity, like everyone's like good for you, you know, there's no pressure, whereas I think it would be different if my role was different, if I was in ops or whatever, and it's a curious thing to have to do, and it's quite lonely because like I don't know that many people that don't drink that still are actively working.
1: Yeah, for sure, I mean like, you know, I think the thing is about being in a program for me is um, it helped me kind of like look at things a different way, and it's a hundred percent what I needed at the time. And the reason why I kind of fell out of love with the program was there was a lot of it kind of made me scared to be around alcohol. And this is my job; like I am around it, and I have to develop that some kind of healthy relationship. And that's what brought me out of it. And then when I decided to stop drinking this time around again, I you know pop into a meeting every so often, give myself a check and like, you know, this week I've been a bit like, oh, do you know what? Maybe I should go to a meeting just to kind of ground myself. It's an amazing chance of perspective. However, <laughs> there are always the people that will corner you and go, have you got a sponsor? I'm like, no, 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 I, I, I'm just kind of popping in. Like, no, 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 you need to do a program or you're going to fall off the bandwagon or you're going to fall off the wagon and you are going to end up dead in a ditch. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs>
0: I think I don't want to diminish the fact that for a lot of people I know in recovery, that's very real for them. But I think we have so little little understanding of everybody else. Like especially in England, like I don't do I know anyone who has a normal relationship with alcohol. And I feel like if we treated it more like religion, where you can like come in and take what works for you and leave behind what doesn't.
1: Yeah, I agree. There has to be something in the in between. Yeah, there has to be something in the in between. um Because you can have that is a way of having a healthy relationship with alcohol, whether that is drinking or not drinking it. For some people, and we, you know, I think people like it sounds like people like yourself and me, like we're in that grey area of, you no, know, like there are times where I have a really unhealthy relationship with alcohol, um and I'm maybe a bit more aware of it. But nine times out of ten. I'm like in a good place with it, Um, but at the same time, it almost feels like, you know, if I go to a meeting and I say, hi, I'm Raj and I'm an alcoholic, something about that in my head is like not true.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And if you say that, people will be like, you're in denial. Exactly. And And then you're not believed and you're dismissed and like, it's so tricky and I bet there'll be someone listening to this who's going to be like, those are two fucking alcoholics in denial. Yeah, <laughs> but- <laughs> yeah literally, they're like, yeah. they just
1: need to get to a meeting, get a sponsor. But it's, just, it's also like, you know, whatever, I'm a firm believer of this. And, you know, I think part of this could be to do with kind of like my um, religious upbringing. It wasn't a super religious upbringing. It was uh, we're Hindus by by birth. Um, and, you know, my outlook on kind of like my faith has always been, um, it's your own relationship with, you know, God or whatever that may be. Um, and there's no one else's. And I also stick that, stay true to that with kind of like my sobriety, like, you know, because some people will say, oh, you shouldn't have prescription medication. Well, that's ridiculous to me. (laughs) Or like, you know, um. There are, you know, for me, I don't smoke weed, but I know for some people, um, there are actually some really helpful proponents around it that help them. But again, that will be seen as, I don't know, you're not sober if you're if you're smoking weed, or you know, the power of like certain psychedelics and mushrooms and things like that. And actually, there is a lot of um, good that comes out of you know u- using like plant medicine, but again in a lot of circles uh, to do with sobriety, they'd be like, no, no, you're not sober. It's like, where does it, you know, surely it it can't be this binary, you either are or you aren't. Mm
0: -hmm. I also like, there's this, I don't know who I stole this from, but I definitely didn't make it up, but God knows where. But at the end of the day, And i think i have a similar relationship to sort of religion where like i'm ethnically jewish but like i'm like what um but it's like (laughs) at the end of the day like you want to be good with yourself and good with god so like no matter what i'm doing during the day at the end of the day does it sit well with me and like whatever that higher power is and if it does that's all the information i need and other people's judgment or prescription of it not my business
1: exactly i mean it's very easy to say (laughs) yeah do
0: i sound like i've got it really under control
1: Um. No, no. like i'm like i'm the worst for that like you know people like you know going through a really hard time Like oh my god like have you been to the gym have you like spoken to someone about this have you done this they're like oh my god no i have to do that oh i feel so much better and then i'm going through
0: it i'm like have you been to
1: the gym i'm like fuck off
0: Yeah, I, yes, 100%. I also think it's interesting, like, in the industry where you can really, whatever corner you want to be in, you can be in. So if I decide that what I want to do is hardcore hedonism, I can get a job at the kind of restaurant that is literally going to be like, there's nothing wrong with any of your choices. You're doing amazing. If I decide I want to, like, be some kind of, like, you know, come home and light a candle sort of person, I can find a restaurant that really supports that. But I think it's why it can be such a dangerous environment for people that are like good bullshitters to themselves, essentially, which I definitely have to work very hard not to be. And I do think that one of the reasons why for so many people in hospitality, sobriety, recovery, honestly, just like relationship to self is so distorted is because one, you spend so much time pretending to be okay to tables, to people you work with whatever that it's very hard to take that mask off like that shit starts to stick and yeah. then you're also like bad behavior like things I remember conversations like "Ooh, I think this person might have a bit of an issue with like drugs or alcohol or sex or whatever the the line like the threshold before people raised an eyebrow was insane yeah. like, like insane <laughs> yeah and i look back now and i'm like well we didn't stand a fucking chance like
1: no exactly for sure and you're right like we always like the unique thing about this industry is we are facing people all the time you know it isn't just the colleagues that we see every day or you know our peers or our boss or whoever it may be it's also the 200 300 guests Mm -hmm. we're seeing a day Mm You know, and we have to, we can't, you know, go to a table and be like, I'm having a shit day, so I'm going to treat you really badly, you know, like, and you can't do that to the people you work with either, you know, like, it's, a, it's navigating this, this maze of, you know, balancing how we feel and how we put that out in the world, but also stay accountable and aware of, mm-hmm. of that, Um mm-hmm with our colleagues and with customers Mm -hmm. it's such a unique relationship Mm -hmm. and you're right as well like that 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 kind of glass ceiling of kind of when do things go too far Mm. it is so dependent on on the environment and I too yeah like I can think of many different groups where it would be totally normal to be like yeah, so I finished work on Friday, we went out till 5am, got a couple of bags, started at 8, then just ran through all of Saturday into Sunday, like, I have got Monday off my badge of honor. But then there would be other environments where, you know, if someone said, oh yeah, I'm coming in a no sleep, I'm like, well, you need to go home.
0: And I do think that, like, my fingers aren't on the pulse, and I do think that there's a shift it's weird in hospitality because everyone skews so young. So it feels like there's these massive generational gaps, although that probably isn't the right word, but I'll use it anyway. Um, who cares? Um, so like <laughs> that, when our generation has sort of ended up in management or operations positions or in head office positions or as business owners, like I think because culturally there's so much more openness around mental health, around substance misuse, um, even around like sexuality and identity and how mm-hmm. that affects you like we have access to so much more information, so much more ease around self-awareness. And so as managers, operators, etc. I think that w- there is a real desire to facilitate different environments for the people younger than us, for the next generation that we did not I'm receive. Late. Like we got like, we suffered, you suffer. And I feel like there's a really positive shift where our generation is like, I suffered, that was fucked up. Like, let's try and operate differently. And whether that's successful or not, I'm not sure.
1: I mean, I totally agree. And I think like, you know, um, I see it all the time now, like the environment that we create or that I'm trying to create in, you know, at Buffalo and, and, and what we work hard on is, what are all the things that we have experienced over the last, you know, 10, 20 years, however long, and that have haven't been haven't had a positive outcome. And how do we change that narrative within the environment and within hospitality? Like, what are the things that if we had the opportunity to do differently, we would? Mm. So we're always, you know, kind of like looking at that and like creating the environment that we always kind of wished for. However, you know, there is a generational thing because you know the kind of ideas as to like what is. Um, the things that are required or what's needed There's we're always learning oh actually mm-hmm. what we find important and what we find as oh my god that's that's a great thing actually isn't that relevant or all required and we're, mm-hmm. we're kind of having to adjust that like mm-hmm. oh that okay so how do we do this and you know there's going to be so much collaboration mm-hmm. like i remember when before i you know came to Bubba, one of the things, like, I'd worked for some big brands um, throughout London that had all been open kind of like, you know, eight, nine, ten years, um, been open a while, kind of created that culture, those values within, within their organisation. It was all kind of set. And I've always wanted to be a part of that. Um, like, I, I remember when it was like this back in the day kind of thing. Yeah. And so it was such an important thing for me, like, when I was looking for my next role um, to, to have an opportunity to be a part of that. And I'm mm. lucky enough that, you know, Mark, who's the owner here, um, he has really fostered that environment where he's like, okay, this isn't perfect, but how can we be better? What more can we do? Like, for the people in it, like, mm. and I say this to, like, my um, general managers quite often, like, you guys worry about, like, the customers and make sure you know people are having an amazing time. Like you know, make memorable experiences. My importance is making sure that everyone in the restaurants, all of our employees, are having a good time. That we're creating an environment um, which you know caters to their needs. There has to be boundaries, and there are limitations, of course. Um, especially you know that does depend on the size of the business. We're two. We're two restaurants. Um, but what we've found, you know, from one restaurant to a second restaurant, is it, you know, with that in itself, it allows us to do far more. And we're always kind of like seeing, okay, how can we, you know, improve our perks and benefits? Like recently, we we've offered, you know, if any of our employees finish after say twelve thirty, that we'll offer um, a discounted Uber um, home. Which to me, I was like, that's amazing, but there's actually been a fair amount of backlash around it saying we should offer more of a discount or it should be 100%, which is a fair thing. But, you know, for us, we've also got to look at it as uh, if we go in with, you know, offering, say, 50 or 100% and everyone does it, what does that look
0: like? Something that really surprised me is having a conversation with an owner when I was a GM and we were talking about base pay like tr- I wanted to increase the base pay for the servers after like the COVID trunk catastrophe when everyone was like living on $3 a day and um he went in and he broke down the books. So he literally showed me full transparency. This is what we bring in, this is what the staff cost is, this is how it is. So it's like if we do this, and cause I was like, it's a dollar or whatever it was.
1: I mean, it's huge.
0: It's crazy. And so I think something that gets lost and something that I really tried to do is like, if somebody asked me for a raise and I couldn't give it, because I mean, I'm also like a communist, so I just want to give everyone everything, but it's like, the, the owner was like, you can't do that. So I would go and I would sit with them. And I was like, I need permission to bring this, like exactly what you showed me. I want to bring that to the member of staff. The profit margins that we work with in this industry are insane. Like insane. Like there aren't other industries that do that. It's so tight. And I think to be really transparent about what's possible is so rare. Like people hear a lot of no, and rarely do they hear like, here's how this business works. Here's how it functions. Here are things we want to be able to continue offering you. Here's what we won't be able to do if we do that. That's sort of the reality. Like,
1: for sure which we're, we're trying to do that you know we're, we're definitely trying to do that more um and there's a lot of kind of like learnings from it like we're kind of big on kind of like open suggestions we have anonymous forms and feedback um our engagement surveys you know we learn so much from that and also um moving forward we're actually doing kind of like big quarterly town hall meetings and kind of like you know uh going against like the the Objectives that we have set, and be like, okay, so we said we were going to do this, and how is that doing? And how are we performing? Or, you know, we launched, you know, like the Uber thing, we want to come back to it. Like, we want to, you know, if it is something, you know, it isn't um, being used because it's not enough, then sure, we should look at, at what that distribution is. But there's always that fine line, you know, because I want to give everyone the benefit of the doubt. Of course, I do. However, it's hard to say that you know everyone will return the trust the other way. Not to say that you know we don't trust our employees because we do, but there will always be you know Pistings. the odd one or two <laughs> that will take the piss, um, yeah. and you know they'll go actually maybe I'll just stay clocked in until twelve thirty-five so I can you know get this Uber home. But we also understand, you know, as an employer with late night closes, we want to do something that is accessible. we've got we've got to gauge that you know we can't go in super strong um we've got to like okay like maybe we increase it see if we're getting more people to use it um because the one thing for us is we don't want to do like perks and benefits just to say we're doing these perks and benefits i see
0: so much of that and it's like such a fast way to just set money on fire and like nobody will ever use them like if everyone I know that has brought in perk box for their staff, canceled the perk box and put that money toward taxi vouchers so their like female staff could go home at night there you go. So I think there's like it is, to your point, really about listening to the needs of your staff. So if people aren't using a perk, why aren't they? Is it inaccessible? Is it actually not what they need? Like what would actually make them feel safe and secure? Like all of those that seems to me like the only way forward if we're thinking about staff welfare
1: Mm -hmm. for sure and you know we're always constantly improving and seeing you know what more can be done and the shock horror there's always more that can be done you know um and but that also takes time um and we try to have that transparency and, and really explain you know like especially you know around the the trigger word of trunk um you know around that like it exists, but there are benefits of using it in the right way. As long as it's going back to you know everyone who is a part of that of the process of that restaurant and making service happen, like that's going to be recognised. Um, but also, you know, the we've we've of course you know we've had people who say, "Oh, I want to um, my proposed pay increase. I want that to all come from house." And like, well. If that all comes from house this is actually what it look your net figure take home looks like it isn't that much more but if we do part trunk part house this is what it looks like and and kind of gives that because i i think there's um often a misunderstanding around the kind of benefits around using the trunk scheme properly so we are always like you know working on the transparency around that but there's always questions, and we want that. We want there to be questions, but we also want to be confident in being like, no, this this is this is what it is. Um, I think the problem is, is you know, with Tron that there have been so many operators that have really abused it um, for all the wrong reasons. Um, you know, they've been paying for their staff parties or paying for certain, you know, um, platforms or recruitment fees or whatever it may be, and that's disgusting. Like that shouldn't be happening. So when I was able to kind of, you know, be in a position where I really got to understand like and see everything that goes into our trunk, it was like a no brainer around kind of like, so if there's extra money in the trunk pot at the end of the month, yeah, that should just go out to the staff. Like, Like, why are we keeping a hold of, you know, I know some operators like, so we keep five percent as a buffer and it's like what five percent every month so therefore you're going to end up with like this big lump sum of of trunk and what are you're going to do with it like that's crazy like but with that i think there's a lot of power around the kind of like transparency um around like you know employees asking how much trunk was collected and how much trunk was paid out which is something we really promote, um, as well, like internally, um, we have like a trunk committee that knows all the kind of knows all the amounts that comes in and goes out and it is everything that comes in goes out. Right. Um, and it doesn't take much. It is kind of the bare minimum. (laughs) It is the bare minimum. So, but there's always improvement, you know, we're always consulting.
0: Like having, decision makers and operators who have come through and survived and are now yep. in decision making positions like where I start to say get really fucked up is when decision makers are so so far removed from the lived experience of their staff that are actually on the floor what do you think granted you sort of the capacity to keep moving through the industry not only as like somebody who's QPOC, but also just in general, like the amount of really capable, smart, passionate people that I've seen leave, either because of money, lifestyle, whatever the case might be. What do you think are the ingredients that sort of got you to this place and allowed you to develop this kind of career that you have now?
1: Yeah, I mean, that has been a challenge for sure. I I think, um, as you touched on, it's the visibility around it. I could probably count on one hand um, the people who I could really identify with in these decision-making positions. Um, and that's always been a big driver for me, is like, no, I want to be in the position where I can make these decisions for a team, for a company culture, um, as well as running a successful business because they can run hand-in-hand. Hand. Um, so for me, it was kind of like, you know, that visibility, um, but it hasn't always been that way. I haven't, you know, before I came to Bubbler, I was very, very close to getting out of the industry entirely. Um, it was, you know, during COVID, I was with another organisation which served me at the time before COVID. Played to my heavy lifestyle as well, because that was the culture. Um, and then during COVID is actually when I kind of really first found sobriety. Um, and I was like, I'm going to take this opportunity to kind of change my life for the better. Um, Because it was scary. It was the first kind of real time where I was like, I'm at home. No work to distract yourself. No work, no responsibilities. I don't have anyone to report to or anyone to report to me or any plans. You know i've done the traveling thing and even with that you know you've always got the plans mm-hmm. like, oh, i going to this place or you know meeting these people but this time i was just at home and suddenly i was finding myself you know it started off just you know that kind of like destructive behavior like on myself it started mm-hmm. off you know with uh uh well, there was a couple of wild nights leading into covid mm-hmm. um i remember that
0: yeah
1: um, big end then, of the world like,
0: energy that week
1: yeah <laughs> yeah it really was yeah um and then um yeah then I was kind of like at home and it would be like you know my housemate and I oh let's you know get a couple of bottles of wine and then that turned into like really heavy drinking and then suddenly mm-hmm. you know after a couple of weeks of that I found myself it wasn't me drinking with my housemate anymore it was me drinking a bottle of whiskey mm-hmm. on my own mm-hmm. in my living room I was like something's not right here like mm-hmm. a switch has tripped in my head mm-hmm. um and i you know during that time i made a change and uh, during that time I, and i think like so many people especially in this industry took that as a moment of reflection As like what the fuck am i doing with my life yeah. um and i was really struggling as to like why do i want to stay in the industry mm. um i always knew like i love like helping people um and You know, myself around mental health, you know, I've I've got a a long-standing mental health condition, um, which I live with, and it, it, you know, goes up and down, and, you know, times are hard, or other times I'm really aware of it, Um, but one thing for me is, like, you know, I'd love to help others, and so I signed up to Open University, I started my degree in psychology with the Mm. kind of end goal of kind of being a therapist or a psychologist, Um, and then we all returned back to work. Um, And so I was kind of doing two things at once. So kind of like my foot was out of the door of my previous workplace. They felt it. I also, during that time, then suddenly discovered boundaries. Um, And I was like, okay, well, you can't contact me at these times, or you can't talk to me like that, or, Mm -hmm. you know, we need to make these changes. And I discovered a bit of a voice. Um, So suddenly the person who they had hired, Mm -hmm. you know, a couple of years before that, to the person that was there now, two different people two different people um and you know so i could feel that was you know coming to an end so it's you know studying more and more and then we went back into lockdown again and during this time i could see that um i was technically still a general manager but um i had no no sight um but i could see that all the other general managers were like being offered you know certain work in the business Mm -hmm. and I was very much left off that and I was like okay like I feel like this is definitely coming to an end and I was like okay I think what I need to do is get a more junior position really focus on my studies and just get out of the industry I, I think the time has come to an end it is what it is like and I was really kind of like at peace with that and then um, I had another job lined lined up. Like I had a recruiter, like they want to give it to you, and something inside me was like, I don't know. I don't think I want to take this junior position. Like it just doesn't feel right. And there was already some kind of conversation around like uh, this opportunity at blah around that time through another recruiter. And then on that day, where I was offered the jo- the junior position, Mark here called me. And he was like, hey, and I never met the guy, never spoke to him. And immediately the first thing we started talking about was culture and talking about hospitality and talking about, you know, like wild times and talking about how as businesses, we should do more for the community when you can. Like, you know, and kind of taking time and having that patience and, you know, coming to it. And I came out of that and I was like, that's the job for me. Mm -hmm. I was like, this is kind of ticking everything. It allows me to, you know, be all these things that I really want to be, like, and it just enabled me to kind of pursue that. And I rang the recruiter for this other job, and I said, I'm not going to take it. And he said, Rog, it's the biggest mistake of your life you're ever going to make.
0: <laughs> yeah. Okay, Derek. And I went, like... Yeah, and I was like, all right, bye. <laughs> That's honestly so spicy. like.
1: I know. Yeah, so look, like being a bubbler, it's really allowed me to pursue um all those things that are so important to me and i get to work with people every day um and in the position that i am and you know i've got a number of direct reports as well and yeah i'm not a therapist of course i'm I'm not but i am able to kind of you know have a part in hopefully you know helping people through tough moments not only professionally um, but also personally Mm um and yeah, it, it it really has been like it has brought me back into the industry, and it's kind of proven to me like why I love this. And um, you know, now I'm like I'm not really in service that much. You know, my job. I think it, there's always a misunderstanding as to like you know what does an operations manager do. And I mean, it is literally just keeping the operation going, and it is some. It can be somewhat of a thankless, unsung hero kind of job, but
0: definitely.
1: It's one of many hats, you know. I I run payroll, I run stock management, I oversee, you know, um, how we go live with food and drink on our menus, around the people management, you know, it's all of these kinds of different things. But I love it, you know. Mm. I thrive off that kind of like. Okay, cool. Like. I want to feel like I wanted, and maybe that's yeah. a deeper thing, you yeah. know?
0: I mean, yeah, I think that's relatable to literally everyone in this industry.
1: We always just want to be like, have a pat on the back and be like, yeah, good job. And that's like what I, what I love about it. But when I do get to be in service and I put food down and someone goes, that was the best meal I've ever had. I'm like, that's why we do it. Like we do it like to get that reaction. Like someone may, I always love to kind of say, Let's make memorable experiences for everyone who walks through the door. My perfect scenario is someone who has woken up on the wrong side of bed. They're having a really shit day. they come in through the doors. We're able to recognize this. And they were booked up on the bar. And we're like, hey, why don't you go take a table? Let me start you off with some bubbles, you know? And like suddenly turn that around and they go away and they go, I woke up and I had a shit day, but I left bubble bar." And I fucking love life, (laughs) you know?
0: Like, I have the biggest smile on my face right now because it's so powerful. And I also remember, like, as a kid, like, going to eat at a restaurant. And if that server was good and really took care of us, it was magic. And all the other stuff fell away. I've had that in relationships before. (laughs) you're like not having a good day and then you go to a restaurant and the service is great and the food is good and the vibes are good and all of a sudden you're like love is easy you know like it it can make such a difference to people's experience and like it's magic it's magic it it is
1: and that it truly is like and it's just being hospitable it's like you know like i think the biggest challenge is always you know you have someone who is outwardly very rude to you and our natural instincts is to be like, well, I'm going to be rude back to you. Like, you can't talk to me like that. But I'm like, why don't we flip it on the head and just be like over the top nice. And if they, if they, you know, are having a bad day, that's, it's not on us. No, like, it, it's not fair. But can we turn it around? Like, let's just yeah. make it yeah. so great. And it is magical. Like, yeah. hospitality is magical.
0: It is, um, yeah. For those yeah. moments. Yeah. I mean, I used to tell my team, and now with hindsight, I'm like, was well, this good advice? But I used to tell them that the better you are at pretending you care about your worst tables, the more you will actually start to care about your worst tables. And the yeah. more that that happens, the more, like, of that you're going to get. The more magic you're going to be able to receive. Yeah. And with hindsight, I'm like, I mean, I'm also somebody, if somebody's rude to me, I go into overdrive, and I'm just like, Watch me!
1: yeah you know that? like it's so yeah. bad
0: i'm such a people pleaser but it, yeah like, i don't have that mechanism i wish i did i would have Literally made better choices him, keep
1: them keen, kind of thing like yeah i'm the like, same. like yeah. i am exactly the same i'm like okay this is my yeah. chance love me
0: yeah 100 i'm like free dessert yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Fucked up. i'm like you've been horrible to me all day truffles in the house yeah
0: Give them an extra 15 minutes. They deserve it. Yeah, we don't need to flip that table. It's like, i love them well, to be here yeah. for longer. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Well, so um, perfect. As I said, I'm not really in the service that much, but there are moments where I'm saying like, oh, okay, like I'll, um, I'm going to pick up, uh, you know, a Friday night or a Saturday night. And it's always there as a reminder of like, no two days are ever the same. The reason why we do this is, is for the guests that walk in through the door and the people who make this business happen and run it on the day to day on the ground i'm just making those memorable experiences and how that's just like such a fully rounded um circle you know like i was gonna say the circle of life as a lion king reference
0: Uh (laughs) (laughs) and strong with a lion king reference and i do want to ask you some quick fire questions so the people can really get to know you (laughs) <laughs> um what is your favorite place to travel food wise
1: i mean so i, I mean i haven't said this on here but uh my um ethnicity is i'm half english um so on my mum's side i'm um english which is like polish german mix um and then on my dad's side is from malaysia um but tamil um so apart the indian diaspora so when I go traveling, you know, and I'm probably a lot of people will disagree with me on this, but the best food in the world is Malaysian. And, you know, when I go there, I just fall in love with it. I grew up with food in, in my house and, you know, going there, I have, you know, my aunties cooking for me and mm-hmm. like those memories of just going there and then, then cooking all of these different dishes, you know, fried fish or mutton curry or, you know, a dal or Whatever it may be, nothing can beat that. Um, so whenever I, you know, get an opportunity to travel for a long period of time, it is around Malaysia, and I do tend to come back about ten kilos heavier.
0: <laughs> um, who is your favorite pop icon?
1: Oh my god, uh, my favorite pop icon. So the sixteen-year-old in me, and the first name that came into my head. So I think I have to go with it. Weirdly enough, it's Kelly Osbourne,
0: <laughs> and maybe that's a bit niche. It's a bit of a stretch, maybe, but I know. I, I was like, it. I
1: was obsessed with her when I was growing up. Like, I mean, obsessed. Um, and then I did an event with her like a few years ago, and I was like,
0: what? How? Why? How did it was happen? a Pride
1: event. It was um, it was like uh, in the Pride March. Sure. It was a f- maybe like 2018, I think. Um. And she was there and I said like the cheesiest thing. I was like, isn't it funny how life like turns out? It was only a few years ago that I saw you in the Camden Electric Ballroom and I was on the front row and she was like, oh my God.
0: I won very Circle of Life, very Lion King, but I also hand on my heart, would have bet you a hundred dollars that Kelly Osborne never made any music.
1: Two albums, <laughs> two albums. When um, we're done recording this, album... can you
0: send me a link to your favorite song? <laughs>
1: The first album was actually re-released under a second name. And then she released another album, which was like electro synth pop, which is, I have to say. Holds really up.
0: <laughs> <laughs> pop icon Kelly Osbourne. Um, What is the best meal you've had in the past month?
1: I mean, if you've not been to Mounting yet, you've got to go. It is incredible. I'm already such a fan of rap um and i love what i love what super 8 do at all of their restaurants i've never had a bad experience at any of their restaurants but mountain is just incredible i went twice in two weeks who am i
0: are you rich
1: no i'm not <laughs> not, not anymore yeah, not anymore
0: um what is your favorite building in london
1: oh what a question um i can't say i've never really thought about that I mean, do you know what? Two friends of mine recently got married at um, Hackney Town Hall and that is such a beautiful place because there's so much love in that building. Um, and when I have ridden by on a bike or walk past it and there's just people coming out, and the confetti is flying and people are just so happy. It's just, yeah, it's gotta be Hackney Town Hall.
0: I walk past it every weekend on my way to breakfast and I, it's my favorite it's my favorite thing and I'll sit there because there's like palm trees which as a North American I think are fancy sort of like limos where I'm like oh, these aren't fancy but I'm like woo um, <laughs> so I'll sit there and when people and they're taking the photos and there's like little kid I yeah hard agree but also have you ever seen the poor fucker who works there who has to vacuum up the confetti off all those steps oh
1: no it's
0: no way. Out. Yeah, it sucked a little of the joy out for me. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Like, yeah, so the like
1: everyone just in you know, there, so... <laughs>
0: yeah. And the vacuum is so little, and like the expense is so big, it's... It's, it's honestly... Oh, no. No, yeah. I need to
1: buy them a bigger vacuum.
0: That's what I'm saying, like get the man a Dyson, in. let's invest. Should we, we could crowd fun for one or something. Um, <laughs> yeah. Okay, my last question is, and this isn't super quick fire, but as is nothing, who is your hospitality hero? Mm-hmm. That can be a mentor that you've had in your life. It can just be somebody whose food you love. It can be somebody you've worked with. It could be me.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this honestly, so I think I think it's hard to kind of like pinpoint it, to one person it probably sounds quite cheesy, but Mark Summers, my current boss, he's incredible. I've never met anyone like him. Um, he has helped me in so many ways, personally and professionally. I don't say thank you enough. The way, it doesn't, it doesn't make me feel like he's my boss, to be honest. I, I use that word. It does genuinely feel like we are working together. And he has really let me, I wasn't there in the beginning of Bubble but he has really made me a part, Make me feel like I'm a part of everything, like the furniture that I'm very much, you know, between himself, Helen, our executive chef. And he's made me feel like I'm within that tight circle. He inspires me every day to think differently, um, to come to better decisions. Um, And we just bounce things off one another. I can be open with him about um, how I'm feeling. I've had very open conversations with him about my mental health, about what I need, um, the support that I need. Um, and he's very respectful of that. Um, he lets me in as well. You know, he, he opens up to me and, and that in itself, I think is so powerful um, that, you know, he's not like, okay, well, I, you know, I'm going to stay away um, and what you go through, you can tell me, but I'm not going to tell you anything. And
0: yeah, really modeling time... that vulnerability.
1: Exactly. And as time goes on, we're able to kind of delve deeper and deeper into those conversations. And, you know, it is... It is an amazing working relationship that we have. Um, And yeah, like without him, honestly, I I probably would be finishing up my degree Mm -hmm. uh, and saying, you know, bye bye to that other job. Um, But now I'm very much like, okay, cool. Like, let's see where this ride goes. What's next? Um, and de- I want to be a part of it, and and he is such a big part of that. So if I was to say one hospitality hero, yeah, it's going to be Mark.
0: That's amazing. Um, this has been such a delightful conversation, and so nice to talk to you. Thank you so much for kicking off season three. Will I like any guest this season better than you? The time will tell.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, thank you so much for inviting me. I mean, it's it's incredible. You know, I you know this year I've been able to. You know, do a a speech, uh, do a panel with the inclusive hospitality. I'm um, talking about discrimination in the workplace, and now I'm I've been invited to you know come on um, this show as well. And like, I never would have thought that this would have been possible that anyone would actually you know, you know, hopefully um, someone can um, relate and connect um, and go, oh my god, that's amazing, or wow, hospitality sounds like an amazing career and. And if one person comes away from that, oh, my God, like my heart is filled. Mm. Um,
0: We talk about it a lot. Like if we ever get lost in the work or, you know, sometimes you'll have just like you'll get a slew of no's or people like aren't buying into what you're trying to do or whatever. And we often in our team will come back to like be the sort of hospitality hero that you could have used when you were in the shit. When the industry wasn't serving you when you were burnt out when you were when it felt like it was rigid if you were experiencing discrimination like be the person that you really needed at that moment and the people that i see out in the world doing that yourself i mean i saw you on the be inclusive panel at the impact report launch and you're brilliant and i was like i didn't even know that it was possible that people in this industry like it just it all feels so unreal to me and it just feels like the biggest honor to be able to platform People that yeah. I I needed then, like
1: yeah, and it's amazing. It's amazing to hear those stories as well because it just builds into you know the bigger picture of it, and this is an amazing industry and there's amazing people in it. And I do genuinely think there is a turning point mm-hmm. as to you know how this industry will be perceived, and I really hope in the not too distant future that you know some kids are at school and they're like, I want to be I want to be a general manager of a restaurant. I want to be a chef and people don't, you know, turn their nose at it and go, oh, that's not a skilled industry. But people go, oh, my God, that sounds amazing. Like, you'll mm-hmm. be great at it. Mm-hmm.
0: But be very discerning about who you work for.
1: <laughs> yes. Also, be careful. make right
0: choices. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, thank you so much, Raj. Yeah, no, thank you. Cheers. Thank you. Yeah, it's been great. Beyond the Past is produced by Kelly's Cause. For more information about Kelly's Cause, please head to kellyscause.com Or find us on Instagram at Kelly's Cause.